if you made a music video, where was it going to get played? On ZTV or like the Trinity Broadcasting Network late at night? I don't know how that works. Well, hello there, friends. Uh, Welcome to the show that takes you behind the scenes so you can hear one-on-one interviews with artists and get to know the heart behind the music. Welcome to the Green Room Door Podcast, a production of UTR Media. Hi, I'm Dave Trout. Pleasure to be with you. And uh, if you've listened to any of our past episodes, you know that we often play some brand new interviews of artists talking about new projects they're working on. We also weave in clips from the past over the last 10 years of conversations we've had with artists. Um, and, and we're going to do something special today. We are going to be focusing on just one of these classic archived interviews with one artist. And you already probably know who it is because you clicked on this episode, but we'll be talking to storyteller, author, illustrator, organization leader, beekeeper, and well-loved singer-songwriter, Andrew Peterson. Andrew, in many ways, is to blame for uh, what I'm doing right here for a living because um, it was really the rediscovery of his music that helped open my eyes to the power of narrative, singer-songwriter, storytelling music, and how it can have a spiritual impact. And of course, I wanted to pass that on to others, and and it began the birth of this organization and ministry. In fact, uh, Andrew was the very first artist we interviewed when we launched the Under the Radar radio show. Uh, And then over the last 10 years, we've interviewed him many times. Uh, We've done concerts with him, uh, done showcases together, uh, worked on a few different things. We're even working now on on a team that's helping to uh, do a project to commemorate some of the songs of Rich Mullins. So it's been exciting to work uh, arm in arm with Andrew at times, and um, and he is definitely woven into the history of this organization. Now, it might feel weird at first going and listening to these thoughts and comments and questions from back in time, eight years ago. It's almost like a time capsule, but uh, trust me, it's going to be worth the ride. Uh, Andrew's answers are time-tested as well, so Um, They're just as relevant in many ways today. Uh, You will hear us focus on um, one of the main topics being the release of his album, Counting Stars, uh, because this interview was done in October 2010, right after the release of that album. Besides that, we talk about great conversations, things like raising kids and having a hit song on the radio for the first time in uh, several many years uh, with Dancing in the Minefields. So uh, I think you'll enjoy the ride. Even if you are already a big fan of Andrew's songs and books, I bet you there's a big percentage of listeners to this podcast who actually have become Andrew fans in the last eight years. And so this conversation may even predate your interest in his music and the other things he's doing. Uh, So it'll be kind of fun. Plus, Andrew's like a steady ship. He sounds the same back then as he does now and just as thoughtful as ever. So, yeah. Now, I do have a a little disclaimer. Um, If you listened way back then to the Under the Radar show, you know, uh, we really only played the answers from the artists and then we were weaving in songs and I was hosting. And so we never really saw the future of us doing more like a a long form interview show, like, like green room door. Uh, So unfortunately my mic is turned really, really low, but I will boost it as best as I can. And uh, to be honest, my questions are not nearly as important as Andrew's answers. And those come through loud and clear. Now, because we're going back in time, uh, you should be aware of what Andrew's doing right here, right now in 2018. Um, And if you haven't heard, he released a fantastic album just about five weeks ago. It's called Resurrection Letters Volume 1, and it's wonderful music, really kind of focused on the story of the resurrection of Jesus, really powerful and well done. Um, In fact, um, we are going to close this episode with a full song from that album. And before we dive into our classic interview, uh, we're going to play a little clip of one of the songs from that new project so you can get a taste of what Andrew's up to right here nowadays. Oh, 
Abraham could not have dreamed of this, could never understand the end of all those promises. How all the pieces fit, every star and grain of sand is safely hidden in Jesus' hand. Let every tongue confess He is not read a couple of audiobooks, you know, like in the studio for two days, just reading a book, and I've got the engineer in there, and there would be whole pages where I just couldn't seem to say a sentence without stumbling, you know, and the guy's like, no, it's fine, but I can see the anger on his face. Every time adds five minutes of editing on his part, you know. All right. Um, Counting Stars, tell me uh, first just where that title came from. Well, it's a reference to Abraham. There's, you know, the famous story about uh, God taking Abraham outside and he says, look up at the stars, uh, count them if indeed you can, so shall your offspring be. And uh, it's this outlandish promise that God gives a guy who who uh, had a hard time having kids at all. And so um, so there was this, you know, Abraham is a character that's shown up several times in my um, music. I keep coming back to him for some reason. Um but I remember uh, the realizing, uh, basically it came from a line in one of the songs that Ben wrote on the record called um, God of My Fathers. And the, the line is, now we're counting stars and counting sand, little feet and little hands, we're counting joys. And uh, it's, he's talking about his growing family in the song. And uh, it was, I, I noticed that phrase, counting stars, and I thought it was so beautiful because it so perfectly tied together the two halves of the record. And we didn't really set out to make the record have two halves or anything, or two sides, if you will. Um, but a lot of the songs ended up being songs about family and, uh, and community and place. And this idea that uh, we as the church are, are the flesh and blood of the promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago. Um, that's a pretty profound thought if you really think about it. Um, and so Counting Stars was perfect in that way. But then the back half of the record is where it gets really kind of dark in places and there's a lot of despair. Um, and uh, and I don't really know where that came from except that um, that's just kind of what I've been feeling like, I guess, I guess last year leading up to making this record. So there were more than one song uh, about suffering and about uh, the, the, the hard battle to maintain hope in a, in a world that is dark. And, uh, and I was watching... Um, the, the this is where I really nerd out, but I was watching the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings, and uh, with my kids no less, and uh, not just the extended edition, but the extra features on the extended edition. And there's this some Tolkien scholar on there, and he's talking about despair, and he says in passing, he kind of goes, you know, despair isn't just a sin theologically speaking, despair is just a mistake. Um, because to despair is to assume that you know the end of your story. And that's impossible for any human to know. We don't know how our story is going to end. So there's always, always cause to hope, even if it's just the tiniest flicker of it. And so, um, so which then made me, in my mind, go to the one of the passages in the Lord of the Rings, this beautiful passage where it says that Sam looks up at the stars, or he looks up at the sky and the clouds part just enough to, to let a star twinkle through for a little while. And it says that hope returned to him. Um, and the thought came to him clear and cold that there was light and high beauty forever beyond the reach of the darkness. And so um, that idea that there is this light and high beauty that, is, that surpasses, that's eternal, um, that, that our hope is in that. And the stars are this perfect representation of, of that kind of meaning. And so counting stars, it's a really long answer, but counting stars was a good way to sum up both halves of that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, just musically, um, was it intentional for counting stars to be a little bit more on the sparse side um of production wise yeah it was it was part of it was necessity we we decided to record this album in washington state instead of nashville which was kind of weird it's just basically this a studio became available um in the mountains in washington state and the, the deal was you know it was free for us to use if we could get there and we realized that cost-wise, it would cost about as much to fly everybody and in our instruments up there as it would be to rent a studio in Nashville for the amount of time it would take. And so 
that meant that we had to downsize and think about how many bags we could check. And, and so by the time we got to Washington, it was just me and Mike, two guitars, and then Gullahorn and his couple of guitars. We brought a few little random toys, but we were basically um, holed up in the mountains for nine days. Uh, and by the time the ninth day came, we had to have the record mostly finished um, or our wives would kill us. And so, um, and so, yeah, the, our options were limited. We didn't, we couldn't just call up somebody to come in and play something fun if we had the idea. Either we had to do it ourselves, or we had to get creative. And so, uh, so yeah, it was really fun to to have to find a way to make the songs work with just the tools at our disposal. It works great, you know. It's a more laid back feel, which is it's it's different but good. Yeah, I, th- I guess it's different. I always think of my music as being pretty laid back. Um, yeah. There weren't, there aren't as many, you know. There's no big orchestra on this record. Right. You know, some yeah. of my albums do that thing, but, but uh, it's funny because people have mentioned more than once that it feels a little bit more mellow, and and uh, I just kind of gotta go. All right, I guess so. I think part of it may be that Ben and Andy have been working for years to get me to sing my songs in a lower key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. my. Uh, I, I grew up in the '80s, and in that era, your your coolness was in direct proportion to how high you could sing, you know. <laughs> and so, um, so I was always trying to write my songs too high, and so that would my voice would get kind of nasally. And uh, but the older I'm getting, I'm believing them more and more that they just would make me lower the capo two or four frets mm-hmm. or whatever. And so my voice is a little warmer in that register. Yeah. So that may be part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, do you know Eric Peters' favorite song on Counting Stars? No, I don't. That's a good question did he he told you what it was so i I just want to get your uh his favorite song is you came so close oh that makes a lot of sense so uh give me the kind of making of that song yeah well um first of all i just gotta say i love eric peters i'm so glad (laughs) um it's funny uh, several albums ago i i was so excited to give him the copy of the album i had just finished and and uh like two weeks went by and i didn't hear a peep from him and I called him, I was like, hey, man. And he was just uh, like, uh, well, man, I didn't really like it that much. Just didn't hit me right, you know, and which is just crushing. You know, all of us musicians, we're just total sissies. And so from your friends, you want your friends to lie to you, you know, on, on at least some level. And so now every time I give him a record, I razz him about it. I was like, here, you're probably going to hate this, but here's my, here's my new album. So I was really relieved that he liked Counting Stars. It was good. Um, but the song, the song you came so close is basically a lot of it came from that that what I was just talking about that Tolkien scholar that idea that um, that uh, you always have cause to hope no matter what and the song um, was written uh, the verses verses one and two are about two different people uh, in my life friends one of which was struggling with this mighty um, depression and uh, and was kind of on the verge of suicide. I remember that the conversation took a turn, uh, and a lot of us have probably had conversations like that, where all of a sudden you realize that the bottom drops out, and this is more serious than you thought that it was. And um, and I sat and watched someone cry as they told me about how, how worthless they felt their life was. And uh, and it broke my heart. And, um, and as God has a way of doing, about a year has gone by, and that person's life is completely different. Like, they've leaned into the church and community and and uh and like looking back at that day it was amazing to see how close they came to losing their way um and they didn't and then the other the second verse of this song is about a a good friend of mine who who uh had a year-long affair uh and was ready to walk out on his wife and but was too chicken to do it on his own he wanted her to just find out and kick him out and so the day that she found out that he was cheating on her um, he was relieved, and he was waiting for the moment when she was going to kick him out, and uh, and she didn't. Uh, to his great surprise, she said, I still love you, and I want to make this work. And that one moment of what to me must have been supernatural grace on her part uh, snapped him out of it, and, and he, had, he hadn't encountered that kind of grace, like for someone to know him and to know him that completely, and yet to still want to abide with him and to love him. Um, and I'm just so grateful to report that they're still married. It's been it's been a year or so now since that all happened.
closer the heavens are And we're so So uh, it was just another instance where, man, all of the evidence supported the idea that this was over, that there was no cause to hope anymore. But he assumed that he knew the end of the story and he was wrong. And so, uh, so the, so- the, the song is basically about that, that um, constant battle to remember that uh, there is cause to hope. That's really good. Um, uh, can you tell me a little bit about The Magic Hour? Yeah. Um, the Magic Hour is, uh, I almost didn't, it almost didn't make the album uh, because I was I was worried that it would be a little bit too sleepy for people. Um, but it uh, I'm so glad that it did because I when I, when I've heard it in passing I uh, it does a good job of taking me back to my home in Nashville. I live in uh, on the south side of Nashville on a little bit of land. Um, we basically our family lived in a subdivision in Nashville, just kind of a cookie cutter subdivision. And I read a book by a guy named Jaber. Uh, sorry, read a book by a guy named Wendell Berry, um, who is a Kentucky farmer, poet, novelist, essayist. Um, this fascinating gentleman. And the book was called Jaber Crow. And I finished it, and I, I wept. I remember laying on the floor of my office at home and just crying because it was such a beautiful story. And uh, and I got up and I washed my face and I immediately started looking for land in Kentucky. <laughs> I started because the book was so much about the beauty of community and things that last and things that matter. And and I kind of looked outside and I saw this kind of uh, neighborhood where, you know, you never know when a for sale sign is going to go up outside because these are all business people and they're buying the house to sell it and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so my wife and I had a long talk and we ended up trading our basically trading our bonus room for a few acres. And uh, we, we got a much smaller house and moved a little bit out of Nashville and had the same mortgage payment, but suddenly now had woods to play in and, and a place that we could garden and, and a place that our kids could get poison ivy and tick bites, you know. Um, and it was, it was just really important to me to live in a place where we could really sense the rhythm of creation, you know, the kind of breathing in and the breathing out of this world that God has made. And that's hard to sense that in a subdivision or in the city. Um, and it's there. It's just, it was hard for me to find it. And so, uh, so the magic hour is, uh, a friend of mine was at our house and it, at sunset, we like to go sit up on the side of the hill above our house and watch the sun go down over the Tennessee Hills. And, um, and my friend said, yeah, this is the magic hour. And I said, what does that mean? And he's like, well, movie makers and photographers call that, that little window of time when the light is just right, the magic hour, because pictures look better. And uh, and so it became our nickname at, at home. Oh, it's the magic hour. Let's go up on the hill and watch the uh, watch the colors change. And so that song is uh, an ode to my family and and the little place that God has given us in in Nashville. That wraps up the first half of our classic conversation with Andrew Peterson from 2010. It's fun. Yeah. Are you enjoying this? You like here? Uh, it's fun for me to revisit some of these older conversations. And still, you know, I love these answers. Still inspiring today. And uh, coming up in the second half, Andrew is going to tell us about another song that almost didn't make the album Counting Stars. Uh, plus, we'll talk about topics like raising kids, Rich Mullins, and making his first music video. Maybe you're just joining us for the first time because you're a fan of AP, so you're giving it a listen. Welcome. If you remember, we used to be under the radar, and we relaunched and rebranded last year into UTR Media. And instead of doing just one radio show, we now do four different podcasts, plus high-quality videos and album downloads and a bunch of other things. So this podcast is only five, six, seven months old, and uh, but we would love for you to hit the subscribe button and check out some of our past interviews. And, uh, recently, we've talked with Charlie Peacock, Audrey Assad, John Tibbs, Eric Peters, Nick Flora, Fernando Ortega, and a bunch of others. So you can check out uh, some of those in, in the uh, podcast archives. Through these different content pieces, UTR Media is building a community around well-crafted, faith-inspired music. We welcome you to the table. And if you want more information about those podcasts or videos or anything I mentioned, you can go to our website, utrmedia.org. Okay, we'll take a short break and be back with more conversation 
with Andrew Peterson after this. It's an indie music lover's dream getaway. Join us for UTR Media's flagship event, Escape to the Lake 2018, coming this July to Cedar Lake, Indiana. It's a time to be spiritually, emotionally, and musically refreshed. We'll have bonfires, devotions, small group lessons, live podcasts, a music game show, and live concerts from folks like Andrew Osanga, Jess Ray, Nick Flora, Wild Harbors, and nearly a dozen other artists. Early bird discounts are available now for a limited time. Find all the details and register online at escapetothelake.net. Here's singer-songwriter Randall Goodgame. I believe the world is a better place because UTR Media is in it. And really, it comes from the passion of Dave Trout and his vision. He's really single-handedly curated a new genre of music for that you really couldn't ever find in one place before, where it's thoughtful, inspiring, creative music that all beats with the heart of the gospel. So my favorite artists are all congregated here, and um, it's people that take faith seriously but also know that they live in, the, in a real material world. And so the people that are on UGR Media sing about the joys and the trials of the human experience. There's just nothing else like it. I'm so grateful for you, Dave Trout, and for UTR Media. You can learn more about our ministry or begin supporting at utrmedia.org. Welcome back. We're ready for some more conversation with Andrew Peterson. Uh, Yeah, he could easily be a poster child for gourmet music. Um, We we celebrate um, folks that are making authentic, honest, well-crafted music from a faith perspective. And uh, he has been doing that his whole career. In fact, he has been the most requested artist in UTR history over the last 10 years. Okay, I wasn't planning on telling this, but I think I'm going to just go for it anyway. All right, we already talked about earlier in this episode how Andrew is really intertwined with a lot of our history. Uh, It was, you know, discovering his music that really led me on to the journey of finding this world of well-crafted music beneath the surface that started the whole UTR journey. He was the very first artist that we interviewed in UTR history. Um, But here's something you might not know. Um, Right when we were transitioning from being a part of Reframe Media, uh, there was a few weeks before we were launching as an independent nonprofit. He called me one morning during that time and said, you know, now that you're He's like, I, I kind of had something on my heart for maybe even a few years, but I've, I've, I've uh, bit my lip and, and, uh, but here you are going through a transition. So I thought I would pose an idea to you. And he suggested that we change the name under the radar just because in some ways it could be interpreted as kind of like a negative connotation with that name which I, I kind of get it. And I did sort of push back a little bit and I was real hesitant. And uh, we ended up keeping the name under the radar at that time. And I'll be honest, I think it was the right thing to do for that transition time. Cause I think that would have been hard to relaunch the, the nonprofit side of things without that name recognition. But we, uh, we re uh, introduced that topic. We broached the topic again in February of last year and we were still under the radar at the time. And, uh, he suggested again, we consider changing the name. I thought, man, it's still, you're still thinking that. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, Andrew often is right about these types of things. He's a wordsmith. So I have to have to take stock in what he says. And, Lo and behold, after lots of months of thinking and praying and planning and tweaking, we did change the name. Not a huge change, but we became UTR Media in the summer of last year. And looking back, I think it was the right decision. So Andrew Peterson was right 
once again. That's the that's the moral of the story. So let's get back to our conversation. I'm going to reframe this once again so you are aware this is not a brand new talk. This is a classic conversation that we did eight years ago, um, which is fun to go back and listen to some of these answers. And uh, this was right after the album Counting Stars came out. And uh, so let's get back into the Q&A where I ask him about the song In the Night. All right, now I admit my favorite song uh, on the album, uh, In the Night. Oh, thanks. Um, well, that one almost didn't make it to the record either. Um, sounds like you n- almost never didn't have yeah. an album. <laughs> yeah, well, it was just, I love it when the dark horse wins, you yeah. know. Um, and that was a, it was a song that I had the idea for and I had, been car- I, I I sang it into my phone, you know. That's it's one where I put ideas sometimes. And I was driving down the road one night, and and so as we were getting into making this record, I was scrambling to finish songs because we only had about five songs complete before, like the week before we went into the studio, which meant that um, I was just under a lot of pressure to finish a bunch of songs. And so I was going through all those little song ideas, and I found that one. I was like, oh, maybe this could be a song. And I played it for Ben and Andy, and they weren't that crazy about the idea they thought that there would be something better and but when we were in the studio we ended up uh uh i had a verse and a chorus and the music but they didn't know what the rest of the song was supposed to be about and so uh we all split up in the studio ben went upstairs and andy went into another room and i disappeared in another room and our assignment was to meet back in an hour and everybody had to have written four verses and uh and so, you know, time was ticking, so we all did this thing, and we assigned, I, I got an Old Testament, I, want, I was supposed to write some Old Testament verses, Ben was going to write some verses about Moses specifically, Andy was going to write some songs about the New Testament or Jesus, because we feel like he, he, he seems to, uh, to know the heart of Jesus really well, in a way that Ben and I don't always. And so, we, uh, we came back together and had about 30 verses, <laughs> and so... <laughs> And we recorded the song that way, and it was about eight and a half or nine minutes long. And we were like, we cannot do this to our poor listeners. And so we ended up whittling it down to four and a half and got rid of most of the verses. Well, I remember how they scorned the son of Mary. He was gentle as a lamb, gentle as a lamb. He was beaten, he was crucified and buried. And in the night, my hope was gone. But the rulers of this earth could not control him No, they did not take his life, he laid it down And all the chains of death could never hope to hold him So in the night, my hope lives on So the verses are still sitting around in my backpack somewhere um, And people have been asking if we're going to record the, the, you know, the folk odyssey version of that song But I don't know if that will ever happen <laughs> I know I would play. <laughs> um, all right, did you ever imagine that in 2010, one of your songs would be in major rotation on <laughs> dozens of Christian radio stations across the U.S.? No, that is a great question because no, I think it's hilarious. Um, yeah, I it's it's been a kind of struggle for me because I, I've put up defenses. Uh, over the years and uh you know i had i had a couple songs 10 years ago or so that did really well on the radio and that was a lot of fun and uh you know made a little bit of money off of it and and it was really great for my career it it exposed my music to a ton of people and um and and then you know comes the second record where there's pressure like oh you've got to try to write another single and and so uh I didn't like succumb to the pressure and like sell out to write a single, but I did write songs that I thought were similar to the spirit of the songs that were on the radio um, the first time, and it just never worked really. Like, like occasionally stations would play the songs, and um, and so that kind of stung a little bit, and it was frustrating. And so I I just made a very conscious decision after my second record to no longer care. Um, I made a decision. I told my wife and and told my manager. I said, from now on, I don't want to know how many records I've sold, and I don't want to know how many stations are playing the song. Because if I have that information, then I'm going to think about it. And what I want to be thinking about is building the kingdom. And what I want to be thinking about is my wife and my children and the people around me, keeping my nose to the grindstone and really trying to work to to write good songs. 
um, whether or not they're going to be played on the radio should be at the bottom of my list of concerns. And, and it was hard for me. I'm weak in that way, like, because you want approval and you want this kind of success, you know. And, and so, uh, so I just stopped thinking about it altogether. And, and it, you know, of course, we put out an album and I would think, oh, I wonder if this one will get played on the radio. Hope it does. But when it wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised or hurt by it. And so uh, it's been really fun. Like, the nice thing about um, having done music for this long is that you know this stuff is so fleeting that you can just enjoy it for what it is. It's like candy. It's like this is the cherry on top of the, the cake that you're eating. This isn't the cake. It's so, so it makes you so thankful when it does happen. And so, uh, But the irony to me is this is the one song on this record that I wrote in the shortest amount of time with, and I wrote it for my wife because we got in a fight. And uh, radio was the very... I, it would never have crossed my mind that this song would have ever gotten played on the radio. So every time I hear that another station has added it, the label's been will call me and tell me. I'm always just so delighted and surprised and kind of thinking, well, you know, that. what do I know? I don't know anything. <laughs> the trick is, I guess, to just keep writing the songs and maybe people resonate with it. Yeah. And um, Dancing in the Minefields, the video. Uh-huh. This is, is, this the, is this the first yeah. official video of Andrew Peterson's career? Yes, it is. Boy, I never thought that would ever happen either. <laughs> um you know, it's funny. There was a, there's a band called Vampire Weekend, and uh, and Ben bought me a copy of one of their records for my birthday last year. And it's really cool music. They're they're not believers or, believers or anything, but their music is fascinating. It sounds like Paul Simon. It sounds like Graceland or something. Um, and uh, I was listening to it, and I went to their website, and the first thing I wanted to do was click on their video. When I got to their website, I thought, I wonder what these guys look like. I wonder if, what their video would be like, and that's what I did. And it kind of hit me. I was like, we live in an entirely different world than when I started playing music 10 or 12 years ago. Um, it used to be that if you made a music video, where was it going to get played? On ZTV or like the Trinity Broadcasting Network late at night? I don't know how that works. But I knew that I wasn't ever watching Christian music videos. And so, uh, but now with YouTube and the internet and blogging and stuff, it was just like, hey, maybe we should try doing this thing. So I asked my manager if she thought it'd be a good idea and she said it was. So, so yeah, we, we ended up uh, deciding at a meeting in about five minutes, well, let's make a video about dancing in the minefields and we'll get some, some older couples in our lives who, who represent this, this kind of beautiful, lasting marriage idea and, uh, and get them to dance because I knew that there was no way in the world I was going to dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, a good, it's a very good video, too. I mean, it's, Thanks. Uh, it, fits, it fits your vibe very well so thanks uh, i'm just wondering if there's one or two songs even specifically on counting stars that maybe you're just extra excited to get out and for people to hopefully connect with yeah um i think that uh if i had to pick a song that that turned out the way that i wanted it to turn out um i would say it was the reckoning which is the last song on the album um I could barely make it through it when we were singing it in the studio, and um, and it surprised me. It was a pretty new song, and so I hadn't I'd written it and sung it for the guys before we went into the studio. But until the day that we had recorded all the tracks, and I was in there in the dark with my headphones on, singing, um, that was the first time I had really experienced what it was that I was saying. And uh, you know, the song is about it's about um, my. It's my uh, voicing of my own frustrations um, with uh, with God's um, tarrying, and I found myself ending a lot of my prayers lately with with Jesus, please hurry back. Um, even when even on good days, I just uh, I know I believe in my bones that the very best, most beautiful days here are only the tiniest glimpse of of what will be. And uh, I'm watching my children grow up, so I'm watching the, you know, the leaves turn in my little boy's heart as he goes from this kind of Edenic childhood where he doesn't know about the dangers of the Internet yet, and he doesn't, he, he's never had his heart broken by somebody. And I'm watching this little boy grow up, and it's breaking my heart uh, to know what's in store for him. And, uh, and it makes me long even more for the day when, when uh, the earth will be restored and renewed um, and when there will be justice and, uh, where there won't be this like uh, color of longing and sadness at the, at the, t the edges of our hearts, you know? And so, um, 
so that song when I especially when I get to the end of the song and it says um, it says I know that I don't know what I'm asking but Lord I long to 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 look you full in the face um, I think that that's probably the most succinct summary of the way my heart has felt for the last couple of years um, speaking of kids um, what's if you could just pick one of your favorite things about raising kids. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I can tell you that this morning before I got on the plane to come here, we I cooked pancakes and we spread a sheet over the ottoman and ate pancakes and watched an animated movie for breakfast uh, that we started last night and we didn't have time to finish it, so we finished it this morning over pancakes. Uh, I, I, I think that the... the the finest thing about it is the 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 it's the moments when i really have a fleeting sense of appreciation for the fact that these these little people in our house are the crown of god's creation um that god allowed me to take part in this new thing coming into the world uh and that and seeing these glimpses of of who my children are going to one day be um, and the way that 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 person is going to fight the darkness in the world, um, and that uh, that thrills me, and it gives me a lump in my throat, and it, it makes me want to hug them and hold on and not let go. Um, so there's you know that's the deep answer, but uh, for me, I just I, I love being a part of their world. I, I don't like the fact that I am a grown up sometimes. I wish that I could be ten again, and so my kids give me a great excuse to pretend like I am once in a while. Um, how is your outlook on music and community and ministry kind of all of that blending how has that sort of developed or changed over the last you know five ten years whatever as just as you're on your journey and in your music career how's your perspective and outlook kind of been changing um no i think that the from the from the very beginning i i i'm have always like there's a big part of me that is still that kid in junior high who wants to be friends with everybody but doesn't know how to be you know uh and just last night Aiden my oldest told me a story about something that happened to him at Bible study and it broke my heart because it brought back a lot of unpleasant memories about junior high you know and how how mean kids can be without really meaning to be cruel uh and, and that kind of thing. And so I've always really treasured friendships. I've always wanted to have friends around me. And my, I remember I have this memory of coming home from school when I was in sixth grade with, with a, a buddy or two and my mom making the comment, you've always been so good at making friends. And so uh, I've got this, uh, for a long time I've felt like one of my gifts is being able to bring people together. And, um, and I, I really, I kind of revel in it. I love... Uh, um, knowing that I love getting to be a little part of the beginning of someone else's friendship, you know, bringing this person who didn't know the other person into the room together and uh, and watching that happen. And so kind of like a matchmaker only I'm not talking about romance. And so uh, so I think that over the years I've come to really appreciate um, how important lasting friendships are um, and what that means artistically, um, spiritually um, and from a family standpoint. Uh I don't want to be uh, the guy that moves around a lot, you know. I want to find a place to really put down my roots and nurture relationships. I hope that when I'm 70, I still know Ben Shive and Andy Gullihorn, and that we'll be able to sit around and talk with our uh, talk with our wives about what it was like to travel back when we were young. Um, I hope that's the case. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I think that. Um, I was kind of, when I was younger, I really wanted to see the world and I wanted to hit the road and I didn't really care about roots because because I, I, I loathed them in a sense. You know, I grew up in this little town where everybody was like a third generation farmer and I, all I wanted to do was get out of there. Um, and I, I tried several times to run away and, uh, and I'm not joking. And it wasn't because my parents were mean. It was just, I just wanted to get out. You know, I wanted my life to be a real adventure. I wanted to have a story to tell when I was an old man. And so more than once I packed my backpack and actually snuck out of my house in high school and left a note for my parents and said, I love you. I'll check in later and uh, walked down the the highway and got about a mile out of town and then chickened out and came home, got to thinking about my mom's food, my mom's casseroles. And so 
but I've always wanted, had that kind of wanderlust in me. But over the last several years, there's just uh, it, it hurts my heart a little bit more every time I have to get on a plane and fly away. Um, and the one thing that makes that fun is the fact that I get to do it with, with Andy and Ben, um, these guys that I love so much. And, uh, and, you know, that's not the one thing that makes it fun. I love, I love the, um, doing concerts. And if you were to ask my wife, if I ever said, you know, I just wish that I could stay home more, she would, she would be the first to tell you, no, if he was home and he didn't do a concert for a week or so, he would be really, really restless. And, um, because I do feel the Lord's pleasure when I'm, when I'm doing a show and I sense the fact that, that Ben and Andy and I have somehow managed to, to serve the music in such a way that there's a connection. There's this kind of electric feeling that I get sometimes where I go, okay, somebody out there, it may just be one person, but somebody out there is resonating with what it is that we're saying right now. And that nourishes me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I, I, I'm kind of bouncing around a lot, but the, uh, I think the biggest thing is that I've learned that that traveling and seeing the world is only the tiniest kind of adventure. That the biggest one is the the journey into the soul of another. Um, really coming to know my wife and and being known by my wife in a profound way is far more terrifying than anything else I've ever done. And uh, and and of course that's a picture of what it is that the Lord is doing in us, uh, coming to realize just how intimately He already knows me. Um, that kind of journey is what I'm interested in now. Great. Um, I'm almost done here with this round of questions. I'm sorry if my answers are just too darn long. I'm just, I'm kind of just blabbing. I hope that's not bad. No, not at all. Okay. That's great. Um, I just wanted to ask you a quick question about Rich Mullins. Yeah. What would you say is Rich's legacy? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's a good question. There's a lot of ways to answer that. Um, but what I have had a fun time recognizing is that almost every one of the Square Peg Alliance writers, the, the this group of singer-songwriters in Nashville who are about my age, who, um, who at some point in their lives kind of gave themselves over to serving God in this way, almost all of us point to Rich Mullins as the guy who, who made us want to do this. And so it's been, I think, 13 years since Rich died. And in those 13 years, um, there are a whole lot of people out there writing songs with, with um, some of his principles in the back of our minds. You know, that his his love for scripture, um, like really songs actually about the Bible and about the Bible stories. Um, his willingness to be vulnerable and honest with his own struggles, his own kind of reckless way of living, and and uh, kind of the fact that he seemed to be swept up in uh, in something. Um, that uh, was bigger than he was, something that didn't always make sense. There was always a lot of mystery about uh, about him. And the God that he seemed to know so well what was uh, intriguing to me in a way because I felt like, oh, I don't know him as well as you seem to know him. Um, and I want that thing. And so I think that uh, all of that... Um, that, that now we're starting to see the fruit of some of the groundwork that he laid. Because other than him, there were just weren't a whole lot of people who were committed to writing really good songs and, and, to, and to being... Um, you got the sense when you heard Rich sing that he really believed what he was singing um, and that he cared more about what God thought than about what you thought. And, and I, I want to be that way. That's one of the things about him that I wish that I could be like. Uh, and you know, there are a lot of, he had a lot of problems too. Like in the years since he's died, you know, I've gotten to know old friends of his and heard story after story. And, and, you know, he, he had a lot of serious struggles and, uh, and the more that I've come to know about the depth of his sin and his own struggle, it has only augmented how beautiful his songs are. Mm. It it actually adds validity to the, to the struggle in his songs because I I believe it more. I, I see myself more in it. There you have it, my 2010 interview with Andrew Peterson. How fun to go back in time and revisit that conversation. And actually, at the time that we're releasing this, uh, I am in the final prep stages to uh, head down to Nashville, Tennessee for a little more than a half a week uh, for the National Worship Leaders Conference, which is being held at Trevecca University in Nashville and put on by uh, Worship Leader Magazine. I'm excited to be a part of that. Andrew Peterson will be one of the featured artists at the event. 
Um, some other great artists like Audrey Assad, Phil Keggy, Crowder, Sandra McCracken, Matt Marr, Brothers McClurg, and a bunch of others. Um, in fact, there's over 75 artists and speakers that are a part of the event. And UTR Media will be hosting a showcase of great singer-songwriters, um, including Krista Wells, John Tibbs, The Grey Havens, Andrew Osinga, and several more on May 8th. We are so excited uh, to put on that event. Uh, in fact, I put a, a, a little article about it on our website, utrmedia.org. One reason why I bring it up is because the next episode of Green Room Door uh, we will be featuring some highlights from the National Worship Leaders Conference. Uh, we'll uh, present some interviews that we'll do with some of the artists involved. Uh, also, some of the artists that are involved with our showcase. And hopefully, if all goes well, uh, we'll share some of the live music recorded at our showcase. So you can check that out on the next episode of Green Room Door course it is so fun to feature a conversation with andrew peterson he is just always articulate always thoughtful fun to chat with and we've interviewed him a bunch of times through the years so it's it's great to to revisit that um and it's would be kind of silly on our part to assume that every single person listening right now is already a fan of his music Uh, hopefully you've discovered his music and his books and other things that he does but if you haven't Um, check out his website, which is andrew-peterson.com, or you can go to uh, the organization that he founded, The Rabbit Room, which is rabbitroom.com. We talked a lot in this interview about the album Counting Stars because we recorded the interview in 2010, but his latest album released uh, in 2018 is Resurrection Letters Volume 1, and after the outro, we're going to play a full song um, of I've Seen Too Much from that album, so stick around for that. Okay, one final quick note before we leave. Escape to the Lake 2018 is coming July 19th through the 21st in Cedar Lake, Indiana. It's going to be awesome. An indie music lover's dream getaway. And uh, we want you to be there. And we want you to be able to come at the cheapest rates possible. The early bird discounted rates are happening right now. This is the month of May, uh, but only through Memorial Day. So that expires on May 28th. So I want to give you a final warning to uh, check out the registration page for more information. It's escapetothelake.net. All right, that does it, friends. I'm Dave Trout. You've been listening to Green Room Door, a production of UTR Media, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry in Chicago, Illinois, and online at utrmedia.org. And it's all I can do to get up in the morning 
So blood. 